Marriage. It's the most important relationship we have in this life. If there's difficulty in our marriage, it's important to learn how to tighten the knot. In this series of messages, Pastor Chris Chadwick teaches us from the Bible how to tighten the knot of our marriage. Would you take your Bibles as you're seated and turn to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, verse number 18. The Bible says, And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air, and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. So God, just to give you some background, God has created everything. This is post-seventh day. Adam has been created. And Adam has a job, let me say, just by way of edification, that working is not a product of sin. God intended for man to work before there was ever sin in the world. Working is a biblical thing. It's a godly thing. It's a good thing. Some people think like, when I get to heaven, I'll never have to work again. Oh, you don't know heaven very well because you'll be working in heaven. You probably won't be doing what you're doing here on this earth. I I know I'm going to be out of a job. There'll be a much better pastor in heaven than here on earth for sure. But Adam was working before there was ever the fall. And his job is to name, the first job that we see of Adam is to name every beast of the field, to name every bird that's in the air. That is his job. And I would submit to you that's that's probably a little bit of a busy job. I mean, he's naming every animal that he sees, and he's naming every bird that he sees, and there's a lot of them. It's not like there was only a couple. I mean, Adam is naming all of these things in verse number 20. And Adam gave, just keep this in mind, his job is to name animals. Okay, that's what he's doing. He's naming animals. And Adam gave names to all cattle and to fowl of the air and every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found and help meet for him. Now, think this through. Here's this man, and he's naming all of the beasts of the field. And he can tell, in our terminology, there's a male camel and a female camel. There is a male goat and a female goat. There's a male gopher and a female gopher. And by the way, I said this at 30. Why he didn't kill them right there, I have no idea. If you have a yard or you garden, you know. I mean, come on, Adam, that was your first big sin right there. It was not the fruit of the tree. You left the gophers. And uh, the male cat and the female Now, I'm going to tell you this right now. Cats are a product of the fall. They're because of sin. There were no real cats there. We, we have this ongoing, if you're a guest, of dialogue between dog lovers and people who need Jesus and like cats. So, uh, but he named cats, he named them all. That's what he's doing. And he's noticing something. There's a male version and a female version. In verse number 20, just to help us understand this. And Adam, but for Adam, the end of verse 20, there was not found an help meet for him. So he's looking at cows and cats and dogs and donkeys. I don't know, maybe. But he's looking at them and he sees a male, female, but for him, there's no one. And God said it's not good that he'd be like that. I mean, Adam didn't know what was going on, but God sure did. And the Lord God caused, verse 21, a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he, God, took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had made, I'm sorry, and the the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, made he a woman and brought her unto the man." And Adam, this isn't in the scripture, and Adam wakes up and he sees her and he's like, oh my word. You say, well, that's not in my Bible. You could write it in. You could. You probably shouldn't, but you could. And Adam said, this is now, looking at Eve, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, because of this, Shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. We're beginning a series. It'll be a four-week series. It'll include our marriage enrichment weekender. We're beginning a series entitled Tighten the Knot. When I was three years old, 
uh, really it was on my third birthday, that my parents moved from the state of Texas to Washington State, a little community outside of Tacoma, if you've ever been up there, called Spanaway. Uh, if you've ever been to the Joint Task Force, McCord, and Fort Lewis base that's up there, it's uh, right on the back gate of Fort Lewis and McCord. And my dad was starting a church up there. And on my third birthday, we left Texas. We went up there, and we'd lived there for about three, maybe four years. And my dad uh, decided that it was time for us to take a 30-plus hour road trip and go back to Texas to see his family. And so we were all excited about that. We get to go back and see grandma and grandpa, and, or not grandpa, but uh, grandma and uncles and things like that. They were going to have a little family reunion, and uh, we were really excited about that. And my dad's pastoring, and his custom was, for many pastors, we left Sunday night after the evening service. We had the morning service, go home, come back for the evening worship service, always different, just like here at Canyon Ridge, always different, new thoughts of the Bible, always conveyed, and, and he's teaching out of uh, on Sunday night, and then when the service is over, we go home, we pack the car, and we get ready to leave. Now, my parents had a, at the time, a 1972 Ford Pinto station wagon. If you're like, I've never seen a Ford Pinto, you can count your blessings, all right? The worst cars ever built was the Ford Pinto station wagon, but that's what we had, 1972, and the wagon was pretty awesome, and I can remember as we left that the car, I mean, I'm just six or seven years old, and the car was full of excitement. It was full of excitement for a couple reasons. Number one... It, it, it had those seats that you could lay down in the wagon. And my parents, who were super creative, uh, laid the seats down, put blankets back there, and they said, this is our RV. You can sleep in the car. This was before all those things like seatbelt laws and caring about kids surviving small accidents. My parents, I'm like, Dad, what if we get in an accident and one of us dies? He said, that's why we had three of you. So... So we're all in the back having a good time, and, and there were snacks, and you know what it's like. There's an ice chest full of, full of soda and juices and stuff, and mom had made sandwiches, and we're on the road. We get to I-90. We had I-90 east towards Spokane, and somewhere in there between Seattle and Spokane, before we got to the what's called the Snohomish Mountain Range or the uh, Snoqualmie Pass that my, my parents were taking, I fell asleep. And I slept, and I slept, and I slept, and I finally woke up somewhere about seven hours
expectations that were on there, and, and Leslie, I don't think that one of them had. When we took that trip, you lose a suitcase full of little kids' clothes, probably not that big a deal. But when you lose something in marriage, it's a huge, huge deal. This series on marriage, my vision for it is that you would understand that marriage is where both partners are working on their marriage, working to the same goal of greater intimacy, more committed connection, and a deeper commitment that will only get better in time in every area. I believe if you have a Christ-honoring marriage, that you'll be closer friends in your 40s and 50s than you were in your 20s and 30s. You'll be more emotionally strong in your 50s and 60s and you were in your 30s and 40s. You'll be more spiritually united the older you get than in your early years. And your sex life will be much more gratifying in your 50s and 60s than it was in your 20s. Well, why is that? Because you're both working to the same end. And you're both tightening the knot for the same goal. My desire for this series of messages is not to tell you that everything about your marriage needs improvement. I know that sometimes in life it kind of feels that way, like he's preaching and he's preaching that everything in married, my marriage needs improvement. That's, that's not really my desire. You may feel that way. My desire is that you would be grace-filled in this series and that it would help you tighten the knot of your marriage. My prayer is that you will live your life in such a way that you absolutely love marriage. If I were to ask the survey of contented people in marriage, I think it would probably be, be pretty consistent as to what the national averages are, and that somewhere over 60% of married people, even believers, are discontent in their marriage. Why is that? I'll tell you probably why it is. Not probably. I can tell you without a doubt why it is that over time we have failed to tighten the knots of our marriage. I know marriage isn't always easy. Professor Bradley Wright, a sociologist from the University of Connecticut, said that people who identify as Christians but rarely attend church, 60% of them have been or will be divorced. Of those who attend church regularly, only 38% of them will be divorced. Let me tell you very clearly, God wants that to be 0%. I want to talk briefly to those who have been divorced or maybe widowed. My heart goes out to you. And I'm sure there will be things said that cause you to remember something from a difficult period in your life. Know with certainty that I would never want to hurt you, and I'm not speaking specifically when I give illustration or application from the Scripture to any specific person, but the, cons the, the struggles that we have as mankind are rather consistent across the board. To our single folks... I love the single folks at Canyon Ridge. We have a lot of them, and I'm so thankful for that. And we'll have a series on singleness when we're done with the marriage one. But to those who are single, I know at times this topic can be quite challenging, especially if you'd like to be married and you're not. And sometimes it's out of your control. I know that at times <clears throat> there's great discouragement because of in your own heart because of the status, relationship status you may have. Know that my prayer for you is that you will develop a passionate heart for Christ that is lived out in your relationships and that you will find fulfillment in Christ regardless of your marriage status. 
Because if your fulfillment comes from your spouse, I want to be super candid with you. If your fulfillment comes from your spouse, it's at best temporary, and it is determined by the, by the attitude and actions of another. Our fulfillment in life and our identity in life does not come from our marriage status solely or even the majority of it. Our fulfillment in our identity in life comes from the reality that we are blood-bought children of God. And that we are adopted into the family of God. And that he is my father and he is my friend and he is my brother. He sticks closer than a brother, the Bible says. He says, I have called you friends. I've not called you servants. I've called you friends. God loves us deeply and passionately. If your marriage is going to be secure and stable, you have to realize verse number 21 of our text the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. The rib which God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. You have to understand, first and foremost, listen to this very clearly, that marriage is a covenantal relationship. Marriage is a covenantal relationship. Well, what do you mean? It's a covenantal relationship designed by God. That's what I mean. There are three institutions in the Bible that God created. The family, marriage, number one. The government, number two. The church, number three. And by the way, you become a family the moment you say, I do. You do not need children to become a family. Married couples, young people will come to me often. They say, Pastor, pray for us. We want to start a family. And I know what they mean. And I mean nothing negative by this, but I want to help you to understand a biblical concept here. Again, no no negative thoughts here. Understand, without a doubt, that the moment you got married, you are 100% a family, whether you ever have children or not. I'll be talking about children tonight. I love children. I was one. I have some. I love children. But we need to understand with tremendous clarity, with tremendous uh, understanding, we, we have to understand this. It has to be clear that you are a family with or without children. You're a family before your kids arrived, and you'll be a family after they leave. And if you do it right, they'll leave early. By the way, you kind of ought to want that. I don't want my 32-year-old kids living in my house. Now, if they have to, they will, but that's certainly not our desire. That's not our aim. You say, well, where do you want them? I don't know, somewhere but here. Somewhere else. Get out of the way. We raised you to, to take on the world. Well, Dad, I don't know where to go. Start there. Where? See the door? <laughs> yeah, just go out. It. Take a left. Just go out and take a left. You'll be fine. But you're a family. And when your kids leave, you're going to be a family. Your kids don't make you a family. Your marriage makes you a family. It's a covenantal relationship that you have first in verse 21 and verse 24. First, between you and God. Between you and God. Marriage is more than just you and your spouse. Since God designed it, the covenantal relationship is first between, it's a vertical relationship between you and God. God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, verse number 21. Look over at verse number 18. And the Lord God said, it's not good that man should be alone. I will make him and help me for him. Do you realize God could have populated the planet with, with millions and billions of dudes? He could have created seven billion men on the planet. And every time he needed another one, just create him. You say you're being silly. I totally am, but don't, don't act like it's beyond the scope of God's ability or power. It isn't like God had to do this. He's all-powerful. He can do what he wants when he wants to. And God created man, and then God realized, not didn't realize, nothing has occurred to God, obviously, but God declares to us that, that it's not good that man should be alone, it's not, it's not what God desires that man should be alone. It's, it's not a good thing. So God says, I will make him and help meet for him. God is the first one in this equation. If you look over at Matthew chapter 19 in our text, or I asked you to find that, or you'll see it on the screen, verse number three. 
The Pharisees came unto him, to Jesus, tempting him, and saying unto him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? He answered and said unto them, Have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? By the way, I don't mean to be offensive here. I hope this isn't shocking to you. God made you either a man or a woman. Just want you to know the gender you have is given to you by God. And it's the height of rebellion to say, I don't like the gender God made me. I should be something else. No, you shouldn't be anything else because this is how God made you. Some of you might say, well, that's considered hate speech. Not here. It's considered loving and kind speech. Well, why is that? Because you're the best life you could ever live is the life that God created you to live. I got a report this week. We have a daycare and report came across our desk. Material being used now in public schools here in the states and in the United States and in the state of California, four-year-olds are being encouraged to experience with transgenderism. It's not the point of the message, but can I tell you that that is an offense to the very front and character of God? God made them male and female. God didn't make them to debate this issue. It's not a flip of the coin. I'll change now and I'll change later. My heart goes out to people whose lives are, are so difficult that they think that the answer to that is changing their gender. The, the answer to your struggle is not changing your gender. You might need a lot of help, but if we could meld it all down to the brass tacks of the matter, what you need is a closer relationship with the Lord. God made you the way that he made you, and he loves you, and he knows all. And in verse number six, uh, he answered and said to them, verse, I'm sorry, 19, verse number four, he answered and said to them, have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female, and said, for this cause shall a man leave father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh? Wherefore, they're no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined, key word here, you ought to circle it. What God has joined together, let not man put asunder. What does the word join mean? It means to yoke together, to stick together, to be stuck together in such a way that it could never be separated. God has joined you. The idea here is of yoking people together like you would yoke two animals to, to two oxen to plow a field They're working together. They're pulling the same direction. And I'm told that in some of the first century church in the ancient days that that during the wedding ceremony that they would actually put a yoke on the married couple like around their neck during the ceremony, which I find very odd but funny. I'm trying to get people that I counsel to let me do that just to see what their reaction is. They've always said no. Or to put, they'd put a chain around their arm that, hey, you're joined together. It's symbolic. You're never to be separated. And this is a covenant that we enter into in marriage with God. The founder of your marriage relationship is God. If you want your marriage to improve, work at developing a closer relationship with the Lord. It's a covenant between you and God. Verse number 23, back in Genesis chapter 2, it's a covenant between you and your spouse. This is now, Adam said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Verse 24, therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. That's the same word that's used in Matthew chapter 19, verse number five. And he said, for this cause shall a man leave father and mother, and shall, Jesus is quoting this very passage, and shall cleave to his wife, they two shall be one flesh. The word cleave here means to glue one thing to another. The idea is that of like gluing a plywood together. You ever go to the store, you know, wood doesn't, or trees don't grow in four by six sheets. They take pieces of wood and they they lay it out very thin and they combine it and then they begin to glue those super thin sheets about one thirty seconds thick, depending on the plywood, sheets of wood and they they glue those together and they 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 take those and they glue them and, and those pieces of wood are held firm and held strong together and you can never Separate a piece of wood that is glued together. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 5, I think I have this verse, verse number 28. I just want you to, I want to see this thought to come home to you. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. 
He that loveth his wife loveth himself. I, that's a command for men. It's a command. You're to love your wife as your own body. It's not optional. It is a 100% requirement. You have to love your wife as your own body. He that loveth his wife, loveth himself. In this covenant of marriage, it is one where the two of you become physically one through sex. You become physically one. So two shall be one flesh. There's only one way to make you one flesh. Uh, we'll get into that in another, another time. Your covenant is one where you become physically one sexually. But metaphysically, beyond the scope what is, which is explainable, that's what metaphysical means, through the laws of nature, this covenant is one that you're thinking, you're focusing, and appreciating each other as though your spouse is you. As though your spouse is you. I love you in such a way that, that I'm thinking about your needs. I'm desiring your needs. I, I, I think first what is best for you. First what is most helpful for you. First what is, what is most thoughtful for you. I love you in such a way that will please you. That will honor you. That will encourage you. That will uplift you. That's how my thinking happens. Listen, that's the covenant relationship. God expects in your marriage. Part of this covenant is saying uh, in this marriage relationship, you're more important than I am. You're more important than I am. There'll be no one in the world closer to me than you. I say this regularly at Canyon Ridge. I've been married 27 years, and uh, I think I have on my phone, just because I want my wife to know how important she is to me, I think I have five ladies' phone numbers on my phone. Five. Why? She's the most important person in the world to me. By the way, my wife has every password that I have. Every password. She says, well, well I don't want to lose my identity. I haven't lost my identity. Ask me. I haven't lost my identity at all. My, my identity is, is, is not in Debbie. My identity is in Christ. But, but in the marriage covenant, I, I am 100% connected. 100% sent. I'm to be 100% working at fulfilling her needs. I want you to feel comfortable in this relationship. I want you, you to understand how passionate that I am for you, that I care for you, that I adore you, that I love you, and that I'm joyfully married, and I'm not wishing to, to change that. I've left my mom and dad, verse 24, and I can't go back. When I got married, when I got married, my dad pulled me aside. He said, hey, son, I need to have a conversation with you, which normally means he's going to talk, and I'm going to say yes. Some of you have dads like me. And I said, okay, what is it? He said, now, are you going to marry this girl? I said, yeah. He said, are you sure you're going to marry this girl? I said, yeah. Are you debating that in your own heart? And I said, yeah. And uh, then he said, now, now, if you make this commitment, when you leave home, don't come back. He said, I can't believe he'd say that to you. You need to meet my dad. They said, when you leave home, your mom and I will help you any way that we can to survive outside the walls of this house. You can come back for a visit, but you're leaving mother and father. And you're entering into a covenant relationship first with God and then with your wife. You see, marriage is first and foremost a covenant between you and God, and then it's a covenant between you and your spouse, Debbie, I'm going to stay with you for the rest of my life. No one's going to be more important to me than you. No one is going to take my affection from you. You are the most important person on this planet, and that is my covenant to you in sickness and in health, in poverty and in wealth, in the bad that may darken your day, in the light that may brighten your way, and forsaking everyone else, I'm going to cleave only unto you as long as we both shall live. Verse 20 of our text 
we see that God designed marriage to be fulfilling. Adam gave names to all cattle and to the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a help meet for him. Verse 25, and they were both naked and the man and his wife and were not ashamed. Marriage is to be fulfilling. Adam having everything in the world at his fingertips. Everything in the world at his fingertips was not fulfilled. The only way Adam could be fulfilled according to the scripture, is the help to have the helpmate that God provided for him. His life was without the joy that God created for him. No fault of his own. Eve had not yet been created. There was something incomplete in his life without Eve, though. Why? Because marriage is supposed to be fulfilling. Now, my identity is in Christ, but my fulfillment happens through Christ for sure, but also through the wife that God has given me. Now, I talk to young men sometimes, and they, not sometimes, I talk to young men all the time, and they say things like this, well, pastor, I can't find a, a woman to date me. I can't find a, a, a girl to date me. Well, you know, Maybe you need to stop playing video games all day. I know a lot of girls, but I've never met one that said, I hope I can find a guy that is at level 512 of Halo. Oh, Pastor, if you saw his spin move on NBA 2K22, oh, you would just be head over heels. Oh, he plays Minecraft with the best of them. Pastor, he puts angry in angry birds. <laughs> he is so good. He wants to be a video game influencer for the rest of his life. Okay, Mountain Dew boy. I don't mean to be offensive, but can I just tell you, it's time you suck it up and man up. I am just weary of young men acting like little children. But I just love, I mean, literally, we are having tremendous problems in homes because men are acting like children. And they're playing video games into all hours of the night. And they're not getting up in the morning. They're playing, I played video games till 3 a.m. I don't know why I was so tired at work. Duh. My boss is ticked off and I'm probably going to lose my job. Well, you deserve to. You owe it to your boss to get a good night's sleep. You owe it to your family to have some discipline about your life and to get rested well. But I, I don't have a family yet. That's the problem. You're not thinking in the future. You're thinking in the now. It's time that you grow up and start thinking about the future. Well, I wish the girls would date me. I hope that if you're acting like a foolish child, that every woman would kick you to the curb as fast as they possibly can and then take the bus and run over you a few times. Ladies, just run over their hands so they can't play video games. It'll be fine. I don't mean to be... Come on, man. We're men. And we're seeing men act like, like young girls when it comes to like doing anything hard. Well, I just, I'm afraid that they might reject me. Listen, overcome your bad self and get out into the world. Quit you like men, the Bible says. Be strong. Stop worrying about everything and just be adventurous for the cause of Christ. Women don't want some dude whose greatest skill happens with his left thumb and his right thumb. I mean, I've walked by. I try not to listen to conversations, but sometimes Jesus helps me hear them. And I've walked by this church here, and dudes talk about, like, no, listen, listen, the cheat code is, like, left, left, right, right, up, down, two, A, B, X, W, Z, Y. Oh, that's the cheat code. I've been worried about that. I couldn't find that online. I spent an hour looking for that last night. You did What? If you're going to cheat, cheat on your taxes. You get something out of it. I'm kidding. Don't cheat on your taxes. You have to answer to God for that. Don't cheat on your taxes. But stop playing games all day. 
Well, I stay up till 2 a.m. every night just playing online risk. It's not really that bad. And people need people to play risk. I mean, look at the global uh, industrial complex. We need to be able to figure out some folks that, you know, we just need war skills. I don't think that the government's looking for the world's greatest risk player. I just can't see General Patton out there on the battlefield going, okay, you've got Argentina. All right, here we go. Dude, get a job. If you've got enough time to play that many video games, get two jobs. Go back to school. Well, I've been to school. I got my degree. Get another one. You've got time on your hands. God didn't give you time to figure out the best video games on the planet. Come on. Well, I know people who make millions of dollars. Are you? No. Then stop worrying about it. Go get another job. A woman wants to know she's marrying a dude, not a dud. A provider, not a parasite. Listen, this is how old-fashioned I am. I'm just old-fashioned. I'm happy to be old-fashioned all day long, all day long. I think the man, as a general rule, ought to be the breadwinner. Oh, I'll say that again. Oh, good. You didn't say amen, so I'll say it again. I think as a general rule, barring something medically or something that is understood, as a general rule, the man ought to be the breadwinner. Matter of fact, the Bible says that women are to be keepers at home. You say, well, I don't like that idea. I'm just going to tell you you can't improve on what God has. Now, we'll talk about children later, and there's some implications there and and effects there that we have to consider to give it a well-rounded view. I get that. But, men, God calls you to be the breadwinner. I know guys that are like, yeah, I'm going to marry her. She makes a lot of money. She makes a really good living. I'm just going to live off what she makes. You punk. You punk. Are you kidding me? Now, listen, if she by chance makes more money than you, okay, that's one thing. But you're celebrating that so you can stay home and and enter into your Minecraft Angry Bird tournament on Friday? Well, i got to play with the people from Denmark, and they're 16 hours ahead, so, I mean, I really can't work. i got to move on. You should read my journal. No, you shouldn't read my journal about this stuff. A woman doesn't want a player. Now, the reality is probably not attractive enough to be one. Welcome to the club. But a woman doesn't want a dude that's checking out every girl when she walks by and has a wandering eye. She doesn't want a man who's viewing porn and acting like it's normal. She wants a man who loves her for who she is. Well, I know my, my, she's not perfect. Duh! Neither are you. I mean, it was John Legend who sang, I love your curves and all your edges, all your perfect imperfections. You're telling me that John Legend can come up with that line as a secularist and not a Christian and, 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 and yet is something that, that ought to motivate us to see our wives or the girls that we are maybe interested in not as objects, but as an opportunity to show grace and love to? You tell me John Legend has a deeper commitment to and biblical understanding of genders and identity than a Christian man? Come on. The love of God ought to be so spread abroad in our heart that, that his grace is powerful, so powerful, that it transforms our entire thinking. Men, you ought to find your wife's the most beautiful woman on the planet. You say, well, I don't, I don't, I don't, I mean, I, I just, uh, I just, I struggle with that. No, you self-centered, arrogant jerk. You struggle with self-centeredness. I know you didn't come to hear that, but it is true. I didn't come to say that. It just kind of comes out of me. I'm going to say it's the Lord. My wife will go home and say it was not the Lord. No, she might on that one, though. She wants a man who will be infatuated by her, fixated on her, focusing on her, and willing to sacrifice for her. I remember remember early in our marriage, we had no money. We couldn't even spell money. Like, money ran from us. Like if I found a, a quarter or saw a quarter on the ground, I reached down to pick it up. It was like one of those cartoons that'd go away from me. I mean, we were poor. Beyond understanding, we were poor. 
And so I was working at the church, and then I got a job at a bank, and I'm working at the church and the bank, and I, I was trying to figure out how to help, not help, but to provide for my family in a better way. So I started a lawn business on the side. So I, I, had, I had a job at the church about 30 hours, a job at the bank 32 hours a week, and I thought, I've got like 14 extra hours in the week that I could do something. So I started a lawn business on the side. You say, how'd that go over with Debbie? Uh, we're still married. She's happy. She told me that she really appreciated the fact that I would do anything in the world to take care of her and that I wasn't sitting home playing video games all day long. I've been trying to get her now to go get a lawn business, but she keeps saying no. You got plenty of time. No more kids in the home. No. Ladies, a man doesn't want a woman addicted to porn either. The fastest growing segment of pornography is women between the ages of 16 and 32. A man doesn't want a woman addicted to porn. A man doesn't want a clingy woman who loses her identity the second that they start dating. The Bible doesn't condone this context of women who can't take care of themselves and have to have a man to survive. It's not a biblical idea that you have to run from man to man to man to man. Your identity is in Christ. Your connection is in Christ. Your fulfillment is in Christ. Well, pastor, what do I do if a man comes along? Well, if he meets the criteria, whose criteria? The Lord's criteria or Bernie's criteria. Either one. A man doesn't want a woman so independent that she feels it's her job to control everything. He doesn't want an insecure woman who finds her security and identity only in him. He doesn't want a combative woman who will manipulate her like Delilah manipulated Samson. He wants a woman to know he's imperfect, yet she loves him. He doesn't want a drama queen who makes drama out of nothing. I see some ladies around our church sometimes. I'm like, holy cow, if drama had a picture, you would be it. Stop it. He doesn't need someone to mother him. He's not marrying his mom. That's creepy. Well, I make his peanut butter and jelly sandwiches when he comes home. He just feels so good about that. What is that? I want to be just like his mama. You're weird. Stop it. But don't act like he doesn't need to be cared for either. Your marriage is to be fulfilling spiritually, emotionally, sexually. The only one that needs to be more important to you than your spouse is God. Your children should never be more important to you than, than your spouse. Your children, write it down. My spouse is more important than my children. Because they are. Your spouse is more important than your kids. Well, God gave me these kids. Yes, he gave them to you to train and let them leave. Children are like fishing. Catch and release. You take them, you hold them up in pictures, you take pictures of them, you show them to your friends on Facebook, and then you put them back in the water, you wave goodbye with the hopes that you'll catch another one maybe later. But the longer that they go, the more happy you are that you don't have to mess with all the smells. Maybe you like that, I don't know. Your job's not more important. Your parents aren't more important. Oh, I can't wait to delve into that. Your mama's not more important than your spouse. Well, mama said that I had, she has to be the most important thing in the world to me the rest of my life. Sorry. God said, for this cause shall a man leave father and mother, cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. That doesn't mean that parents aren't important. I love my parents. I love my mom. Talk to her this week. I love my mom. You say, do you talk to her every day? No. Why? She has nothing to say, and neither do I. And I'm not sitting on the phone listening to my mom breathe. That's creepy too. My parents aren't more important than my wife is. I had to have a conversation one time with my mom not long after Debbie and I had been married. Because Arlene is demanding. 
And she wanted to be number one in my life for the rest of my life. I used to write my mom poems and tell her how much I loved her. And I took my mom on a walk not long after we got married. And I said, Mom, I love you. I'll always love you. You'll always be really important to me. But you'll never take the place of my wife. She said, well, I just don't want our relationship to change. I said, Mom, it changed the day I got married. Really, it changed the day I started dating Debbie. And my mom's like, well, but I, I was always the most important girl in your life. And I looked right at her. I can still remember where we were walking in Amarillo, Texas, over by a place called Media Park. And I looked at my mom and I said, it will never be that way again. And my mom looked at me and she said, just walk, just walk, just walk, just walk. And so I left. I saw her later. I said, how are you doing? She said, I'll get over it. And I said, good, because it ain't changing. He said, were you mad about it? No, I'm not mad about it. But my wife's better, more important to me than my parents are. My wife's more important than my hobbies are. Doesn't mean my hobbies aren't important. Doesn't mean my kids aren't important. Doesn't mean my parents aren't important. Doesn't mean my job's not important. But they're not nearly as important as the covenantal relationship I have with my wife. Marriage was created to be fulfilling. Fulfilling. The greatest joy you should have is spending time with your spouse. I love spending time with everybody here. I, I really do. But let me tell you. There's never a time when I'm talking to somebody here that I can't wait just to hang out with Debbie. I love it. Don't get me wrong. I love it. Don't take that as anywhere near a negative because if you do, you're taking it wrong. I love hanging out. I've got great pastor friends all across this country. I love our staff. We hang out. We have, we have a lot of fun. A lot of fun. And, and I love every second of hanging out. Went on outreach yesterday with one of our men. Had a wonderful time. But the whole time, this is what's going on in my mind. I can't wait just to be home with me and Debbie. And then I went home and Judith was there. So, and then I, Judith is my oldest daughter. And then I prayed for her to leave. And then it was just me and Debbie. And I was like, oh, yeah. Yeah, the, now I love my daughter being there. But the fulfillment comes when it's me and Debbie. And that's what's supposed to be for all of us. This cause shall a manly father and mother and cleave unto his wife. They too shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Here's what he's saying. They were completely fulfilled in one another. Heather Haverleski, great last name, recently wrote an article titled, Is Marriage Obsolete? I want to read an excerpt of it. Isn't it reasonable to question the value of a legal contract written in ink on paper that involves disastrously punitive forms of disillusion, particularly when it's paired with an enormously expensive ceremony that often includes allusions to obedience and lifelong mutual suffering and death of all things? And there are a host of inconveniences to being married, along with, the untold, with untold drudgery, monotony, frustration, and regret. Considering all that, what could possibly be the point of this outdated charade? That's the question of our day. The number of people who live together before they get married. The number of even Christians who are sexually active. Why does this even matter? Well, it matters because God says it matters. You're like, okay, I'll submit to that. But why does it really matter? She goes on and she answers the question. So why do I love this torturous state of affairs so much? The daily companionship, the shared household costs, the tax breaks, they're not enough. Is it because of the peak moment of a marriage when you, it is rather, because of some of the peak moments of a marriage are when you share your anxieties, your fears, your longings, and even your horrors. That's why sickness and death are key to the marriage vows. Because there's nothing more divine than being able to say, today I am really, truly at my worst. And knowing that it won't make my spouse run for the hills. My husband has seen my worst, she says. And we both know that our worst is likely to get worse from here. And somehow that feels like grace. My worst? Oh, it's only going to get worse from here. 
I tell people all the time, the wedding day, see how beautiful, I'll tell this to guys before we walk out, getting ready to have a wedding here in March, I'll say, I'll say these words, you see how beautiful she is at the altar, oh yeah, pastor, she's going to be beautiful, yeah, she's going to be beautiful, remember that, why? That's the best it'll ever look. You say, Pastor, just being honest. You don't love her for her beauty. You love her because God told you to love her. And you love her because it's fulfilling. Not that she won't be beautiful again, but that feeling you have right now, you may never have that again. But we don't love based on feelings. We love based on faithfulness. And knowing that it gets worse. And worse. And worse. Watching a lady in her 70s or 80s care for a husband that has been strong through the years. And now he has Parkinson's or Alzheimer's or dementia. And watching her love and devotion to her husband. It motivates me. I understand that it's not out of duty, but it's out of desire and intimacy and connection. And that the marriage has lasted the test of time. Not because everything's perfect, but because they entered into a covenant with God and a covenant with one another. The covenant with God directs my thoughts, my actions. It determines my philosophy. It sets my goals and my agenda. And my covenant with my spouse says, all of these things that God has taught me, I'm going to display them towards you. I will love you in the good days. And I'll love you in the bad. I'll love you when you're healthy. And I'll love you when you're sick. I love it when we're wealthy. And I'll love you when we're broke. I'll love you when the kids are doing well. And I'll love you when they're not. I'll love you when your parents like me. And I'll love you when they don't. I'll love you when I got a raise. And I hope you'll love me when I got fired. I'm entering into a covenant with you. That will never end. That will never change. Until death we do part. I can't help but think that when we talk about tightening the knot, there's some knots in your marriage that need to be tightened. Thank you for listening. Hear more messages today at CanyonRidgeBaptist.com. If you're in the San Diego area, please join us for a service. We meet on Sundays at 8.30 a.m., 10.30 a.m., and 5 o'clock p.m. Pacific Time.